The Fiji women's rights movement is reiterating calls for comprehensive sexual education in school curricula in Fiji and the Pacific to help stop violence against women. The movement, in partnership with the University of the Pacific this month, released a damning report on the high prevalence and impact of sexual harassment of female journalists in Fiji. Its executive director, Nalini Singh, says Fiji needs stronger commitment from employers to adopt and implement sexual harassment policies in their workplaces that are consistent with the Employment Relations Act. But she also says Pacific governments must stop shying away from introducing age-appropriate sexual education, especially given the disturbing trend of perpetrators of young victims of abuse being either family members or someone in a position of trust. Nalini Singh joins me now. Pula, and welcome on Pacific Waves. Let's start with your recent report. Tell us a little bit more about the findings. If I may say, Coroina, horrific findings, no? This particular survey um, done by the USP School of Journalism, they interviewed 42 respondents, um, with the youngest being 22 and the oldest being 51. And the average work experience of the 42 was around 8.3 years. And, you know, most of the respondents uh, sort of uh, said that they knew uh, what sexual harassment was, um, you know, about. And um, they said that the level of harassment at both the workplace and the reporting field is high. Uh, two-thirds of the respondents reported incidents, um, you know, occurring at least sometimes in terms of them doing their work. So we have to understand here, Karoi, that, you know, for women journalists, you know, their workplace is not just um, the radio stations or the you know newspaper houses or you know um, their offices. It actually you know moves when they move to do interviews. It's important to have that understanding in terms of um, when they say harassment. It, you know that situation sort of changes. Um, in terms of the survey, um, the it found that most uh, you know the common type of harassment they faced was verbal but it was often gestural as well. There's physical harassment um, as well as uh, remarks, you know, that were passed around in terms of how they were dressed, um, you know, how they were looking. Um, and of course, there, was, there were many crude and, you know, very sexual jokes. Only about 40% lodged complaints about the sexual harassment that had occurred in the workplace. And um, many felt um, very embarrassed to be doing so. Um, and of the cases that were reported, just over 50% resulted in a warning for the offenders and 17% resulted in termination, 12% uh, resulted in suspensions. Um, in terms of, um, you know, when, when women were out in their reporting assignments, the most common sources of harassment, um, you know, were, you know, experienced from um, businessmen followed by politicians and community leaders. And, um, you know, that's astounding because this is exactly the kinds of things that we're saying in the women's movement, that violence against women, which all constitutes sexual harassment in the workplace, is all about power. You know, who holds the power and how do they use it? And often we see that those in power, such as uh, businessmen, politicians, community leaders, they are the ones who um, try and wield it over. Uh, women, uh, and it results in situations like this. The uh, survey also found that, you know, while many media organizations have policies 
around, uh, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace. Uh, Two thirds of the respondents um, have said that they have never had any trainings or any sessions in terms of understanding what those policies were about. And uh, more than half the respondents said that uh, their experience of sexual harassment had impacted them professionally and mentally. Um, and this is this is the clincher here, Karoi, because you know, 83% of the respondents they said that they had experienced online harassment at one point or the other, and online harassment was emerging as a major threat because the offenders were largely anonymous. And um, others included uh, news sources or contacts, you know, some government officials and political party affiliates. So, yes, po- you know, political and government stories you know, often leads to the highest level of um, online abuse, uh, followed by stories about race and ethnicity as well as religion. So most of the respondents um, you know, sort of self-censored themselves or avoided those topics. And uh, finally, most of the respondents said that their employers were not fully equipped to deal with online harassment. Mm. And where do you go into recommendations now? Where do you even start to tackle a massive issue for Fiji, but no doubt across the Pacific region as well, where similar statistics are present for, for domestic violence and violence against women? Yes. So, um, you know, in Fiji, uh, like I said, it has been through the women's movements uh, and after WRM's advocacy effort that we have progressive laws, um, you know, in this regards. But it is a lack of implementation of that laws. And, and the laws are for all organizations, all employers. Uh, so what we are saying is that, you know, for all media organizations, you know, you have to adopt a sexual harassment policy that um, is well-defined, Uh, in terms of um, the explanation of what constitutes sexual harassment. Because, Corey, you have to see, we have um, a unique element to this, uh, you know, as specific cultures, you know, there's a cultural element to the harassment as well. In Fiji, we have the Tovu-Tavale relationships where often the jokes go too far, you know, and so even, you know, that plays with many because you don't know whether that was within the bounds of culture and should be just accepted or it has crossed the line and, and is actually, you know, um, making you feel uncomfortable or, you know, you uh, are suddenly feeling that your work environment is no longer safe and it's quite toxic. So, um, you know, the report recommends that all media organizations have policies that have Uh, definitions for what is sexual harassment and really clearly marking out the reporting mechanisms and it must be implemented uh, to the fullest extent. The um, other, uh, you know, recommendations include that, you know, there must be regular awareness raising around those policies and um, we, you know, must seek help from others if we are unable to do it, you know, um, you know, you know, within um, the organizations, we must uh, get help and, you know, uh, have these workshops. Um, and as part of abiding by organizational policies that, um, you know, the media organizations must require all the staff to sign the declarations, you know, that they will abide by the organizational uh, sexual harassment policy and, you know, make it contractually obligatory so that um, when, when they're 
um, are instances when um, harassment is faced and complaints are made, then the, you know, the punitive um, reactions and, uh, come into place. Um, there must be, you know, news media organizations must adopt a zero tolerance policy against um, sexual harassment in the workplace. And um, all offenses that are reported should be registered. Um, and the due process for processing complaints must be in a very timely manner so as to not continue to cause the harm, uh, to not continue to you know, keep the toxic environment in the workplace uh, going on. Um, and, you know, for, for women journalists, you know, there has to be, you know, clear guidelines and safety precautions put in place because we are talking about, you know, opening, um, you know, having equal access, um, you know, for both women and men um, who are journalists in terms of covering various, um, you know, um, stories and, and, and having assignments. Um, but when we're talking about situations like uh, covering sports events, etc., these become extremely risky for women. So there has to be safety precautions and guidelines put into place for those um, situations. There has to be, uh, you know, creation of female-only staff uh, uh, on safe places and support groups, you know, if needed. Um, because, um, you know, uh, like I said, there's so much stigma attached to this. Uh, sometimes it helps to talk um, to a group of, um, you know, other women journalists so that, you know, we, we, we get um, the courage and the support to ensure that we report and follow the process through. Um, we're hoping that media organizations will take um, specific measures to boost female leadership in newsrooms as well and give more opportunities for women in top management and decision-making positions, um, you know, because uh, we are not doing too well here. Um, you know, where are the women in leadership when you're talking about uh, the leadership in, in, in the various um, organizations? Um, media organizations, um, you know, must allow victims to lodge cases with um, independent organizations and even need be reported to the police and, and have the you know, um, process, due process in court um, go through. And finally, we are hoping that you know, the government um, does something more and um, decides to you know, launch national education and awareness um, uh, you know, campaign on, on sexual harassment in, in the workplace, but beginning at um, the school level uh, so that the awareness around this is built. So in this regard, Fiji has, uh, it, well, we are right in the middle of it in terms of development uh, of uh, the National Action Plan for the Prevention of Violence Against Women and Girls. And after Duarem, you know, we have had very strong advocacy to ensure that, um, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace is, you know, also noted down as, uh, you know, one key aspect of violence that women face. And so that the plan, which looks at prevention of violence from happening, um, you know, that we put in measures to have that addressed as well. Thank you. I think um, we covered most of it. I just thought I'd just put an additional one in. Like um, I noticed, like I'm moving here to to New Zealand, and I'm just looking at my own children's education, and 
um, there's a lot of discussions about consent when they get to um, sort of the teenage, intermediate teenage years. There's a lot mm. of emphasis on on discussing consent or boys understanding consent, girls understanding consent, and and those discussions sort of are held all the way through that the, the education system is is going down to even that level. I I don't seem to recall that being part of our Pacific sort of Fijian, maybe even in Solomon's where I'm from, education system. Those discussions I don't think were present in in any of the education curricula. Yes, and, and that's the thing. Um, the, you know, also part of our long-standing advocacy for our um, education system, our schools to have what we say comprehensive sexuality education. We are talking about exactly what you are saying, Kuroi. We are talking about age-appropriate um, curriculum being developed so, to help um, children, you know, understand the you know basics of how do we respect each other you know you know what is consent you know what what does violence mean and what does it do what are other ways of resolving anger and conflict um and you know um this must be taught um, in school because uh you know i've said this often is that um, why are we pretending to be so moral about issues when it comes to talking about violence against women, rape and sexual assault? Because for Fiji, when we dig a little deeper and look at um, who are the perpetrators of rape and sexual assault, then, you know, it's no longer the stranger danger, uh, you know, type of people. It you know, the victim survivors, who, by the way, are getting younger and younger in the last several years for Fiji, um, the victim survivors have been under the age of 17, with the youngest being five months. And the perpetrators, the victim survivors know the perpetrators. They're someone in their community, in their family, whom they trust. It's an uncle, it's a brother, it's a cousin, it's a stepdad, it's a grandfather, it's a neighbor. So, you know, we become too moralistic to say, hey, we're not going to talk about these issues because, you know, my religion says no, my culture says we can't talk about it. But it is exactly in that realm that these violations are actually happening. So if we are not comfortable talking to our children about it, what is the problem then in terms of having a curriculum that is going to step-by-step guide our children and teach them about what it is to be a person um, in society that does not, you know, um, uh, violate any rights and and respects everyone in the community, um, knows that when someone says no, it's actually meaning no. Um, And later on in life, you know, you get to understand your body and how that works and what is reproduction all about and what is sexuality all about, you know, later at an age-appropriate moment. Um, So, you know, that's what comprehensive sexuality education does. And I do not know why there is such hesitancy uh, in terms of bringing in life skills education or family life education, whatever we may call it, but making sure that it teaches these type of values um, so that, you know, when uh, the kids, young children, when they grow up, they become 
you know, adults who do not practice this bad behavior and continue to perpetuate um, the types of violence that, um, you know, we see, which leads us to have very horrendous, you know, prevalence rates. And, um, you know, and, and we struggle then. So we have to start young. So, you know, you are correct. It's very important to have these um, uh, issues addressed by the education system through an appropriate uh, curriculum and um, start young.